Let's open our Bibles to two different passages this morning as we look at Lord's Day 25. First of all, Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, especially the next couple verses. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For he saith, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Esaias is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. 
I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. And now if you'll turn a little bit further in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Based on those and many other passages of God's word, we have the instruction, and now it's a new section of the catechism, preaching and especially the sacraments are emphasized. And that's easy for us to understand because it was the sacraments that were corrupted, especially during the time of the Reformation. Lord's Day 25, question 65. Since then we are made partakers of Christ in all his benefits by faith only. Whence doth this faith proceed? Answer from the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of sacraments. Question 66. What? are the sacraments. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. Namely, that he grants us freely the remission of sins and life eternal for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Question 67. Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? And the answer is yes, indeed. For the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon the one sacrifice of Christ, which he offered for us on the cross. Question 68. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Answer, two. Namely, holy baptism and the Holy Supper. May God bless the reading of his word and also the preaching of it again this morning.
Jesus said to Martha, If thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God. If thou wouldst believe. There was a father in Israel who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Beloved our Lord, we have already seen that we are saved by grace in Christ Jesus by faith alone. We have seen the necessity of and the contents of and the benefit of faith. We are united to Christ Jesus. Now the question comes in this Lord's Day, how can you and how can I get this faith? And how can my faith become stronger in the midst of trials and difficulties? So we're dealing here with the origin of faith in these seven Lord's Days. A short introduction. And now the theme, the blessedness of the means of grace. Faith worked by the means of grace. Notice with me, it is God's great work. Notice second of all, the instruments that God uses. And then thirdly, the result of that work. And you're my hearts and lives. Scripture sets forth God as the author of spiritual gifts. We read in James 1, verse 18, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. He begat us. He gave us new life with the word of truth. By his word. Just as God spoke the word in creation and things instantly were, so also God spoke his word and there was new life created in us in regeneration. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus without good works, but unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The place of works, not the origin of our faith, not the basis of our salvation, but rather the fruit. God is the author of these spiritual gifts. Parents, Christian school teachers, the elders, the pastor, they are used by God. But you see, not one of them can work faith. We can bring the word. We can pray for our children. 
but it is only God who can melt and break the hardness of our heart and establish the throne of Christ Jesus there. So there is only two possible answers. Where does this faith come from? Is it God or is it man? And the answer that one gives has great implications where you're going to look. And so we read, but God of his own will, that is God being willing, speaks of the wonderful truth of (coughs) election. That's the origin, isn't it? The glory goes all to God. He begat us. That means he knew and he loved us already in eternity and he gave us to Jesus Christ. And then by his spirit, he works that new life in us. He gives us faith and he increases that faith. He begat us. We read in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That word that liveth and abideth is not now the preaching. The word that liveth and abideth is none other than Christ Jesus incarnate. But then Peter does end that chapter in verse 25 he says by the word of the lord abideth forever that's christ and this is the word which is the gospel preached unto you now one might ask this question why does god give faith to some and not to others and why does god use the family Parents to children and children then to their children to the third and the fourth generation. Why does God give faith to some on the mission field and others turn a deaf or even a hardened ear to it? And you see, the answer is not anything in me or of you. It's nothing in a human person But the giving and the working of faith depends solely upon God's decree. Those whom he has chosen in Christ Jesus, he will work faith in them and save them. And those who are reprobate, he passes over and they are hardened in the way of their sins. That's what we read, didn't we, in Romans When the poor prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 is commissioned to preach the gospel, he is also told, given the warning, may they hear and not understand. They are hardened in their sins. No, it's nothing in you or me that we have faith. But the giving of faith and the working of faith depends solely upon God's decree. Those whom he has chosen, he has given to Christ. Since that is an essential truth, never downplay it. The giving of faith is all of God. The salvation of anyone is all of God because that's such an essential truth. 
Satan opposes it. And he opposes it with many different errors. There are those who teach that we are the originators of our faith. They say, because faith is commanded, that is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, because faith is commanded, it must be all our work. Others believe that we cooperate with God. We cooperate with God in the working and the originating of faith. He kind of hands us out faith, and we have to be willing then to grasp that hand and take it. For others, faith becomes a condition then that we fulfill. Those who teach that say, well, because we can't do any good works any longer to be saved, now God instead just commands us to believe. So then faith becomes merely our work. Others, using Philippians 1 verse 6, teach that God gives the beginning of faith, but now it's up to you and me to continue in that faith. Where would you be, oh child of God, where would you be if it were left up to you to persevere? Wouldn't we remain with our feet going the wrong direction on that broad way that leads to destruction? Wouldn't each one of us turn that way and remain there? But it is God, it is God who preserves us. It is God who comes to his child that's walking in his sin and turns him around, turns him to God and turns him to faith in Christ Jesus. Arminians teach that the gospel is given to all and that God gives the ability to all people to believe. And now it's up to you to choose and believe. Listen a minute to the gospel in Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So how false is that, that God begins the work, he gives us faith, and now it's up to you and me to remain in it? No. God, who began a good work, continues that good work, teaching us, instructing us, at times warning us, sometimes chastising us, causing us to return to him. All those heresies that I just got done mentioning rob God of his sovereignty and rob God of his glory in your and my salvation. It gives glory to people. It's now people who have decided to follow Jesus. It's people who are willing to open up their hearts. That's false doctrine. It robs God of his glory. So begin as we began, God. God is the author of our spiritual life and all the spiritual gifts that we have. God's word is plain in teaching that God gives and works faith in us. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Beloved, that is the truth 
for you and me. As many as were ordained, there's the cause that we are Christians. There's the cause that we believe in Jesus Christ. As many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. Or let me give another passage. John chapter 10, verse 26. There Jesus says, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep will hear my voice. Who are those sheep? They are the elect of God. Those who were given to Christ before the foundation of the world. Those sheep will hear his voice and follow him. But those that were not given to Christ, those who were passed over in God's wrath, they will not hear, they will not believe God's word. I'd like to read a short passage of the Canons of Dort on this matter. Page 57, if you want to follow along, it's a short article. Article 6, that some receive the gift of faith from God and others do not receive it, proceeds from God's eternal decree. For known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world, Acts 15, verse 18, who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1, verse 11, according to which decree he graciously softens the hearts of the elect, however obstinate, and inclines them to believe, while he leaves the non-elect in his just judgment to their own wickedness and obduracy. And herein is especially displayed the profound, the merciful, and at the same time the righteous discrimination between men equally involved in ruin or that decree of election and reprobation revealed in the word of God, which, though men of perverse, impure, and unstable minds rest to their own destruction, yet to holy and pious souls affords unspeakable consolation. Your and my salvation, your and my faith does not depend upon us. It depends upon God, who is sovereign, who accomplishes all of his purposes. So as we read there in the canons, some receive the gift of faith from God, and others do not receive it, proceeds from God's eternal decree. And again from the canons then, it is a merciful and righteous discrimination between, let's listen to this, men equally involved in ruin. We weren't better than others. That's not why God chose us. All are equally involved in ruin. But God in his merciful and righteous discrimination elects them to eternal life. That's the first point. It's God's work. Faith is God's work in us, in our hearts, 
and in our lives. That brings me to the second point, the instruments that he uses. And the catechism instructor uses the term, the means of grace. What are the means of grace? They are common, ordinary things appointed for use to strengthen our life. So physically, what are the means that strengthen your life? Isn't it good food that your mother is going to be putting on the table pretty soon? Isn't it medicine when you are sick? Common, ordinary things in nature now used by God to strengthen our physical life. So in other words, really, since God is sovereign, in the broadest sense, everything is a means of grace. That is, it is meant for our good. Isn't that what we read in Romans chapter 8, that God works all things together for good to them that love him, that are the called according to his purpose? God works all all things for good. But now when we're talking about the means of grace, we're meaning really those things that the Holy Spirit uses or applies to the elect and gives us grace, whereby he is, and you and I are delivered from the bondage of sin and able to walk in sanctification, that we are able to enjoy spiritual blessings. Instruments that the Holy Spirit uses in order that we may receive the beauty or the goodness of God. That's what the word grace is, isn't it? The beauty of God. Undeserved favor of God. And all those means are adapted to us. They are taken from our world of experience and they're used by God always in the same way to work faith in his own and to leave the wicked without any excuse. Means of grace, things. There is no grace in those things themselves. For example, is there any grace itself in preaching? No. The reprobate, the wicked, hear the preaching, but they don't receive any grace. They don't know the beauty, the goodness of God. Is there any grace in the water that is sprinkled on the child in baptism? And the answer is no, it's just plain water. Nothing special. Is there any grace in the bread or in the wine of the Lord's Supper? And the answer is no. After the supper is done, one can take the rest of those pieces of bread home and make bread pudding. And one is able to drink the rest of the wine that's left in the bottle, and it's just good drink. There's no grace in things. You see, that is the error, wasn't it, of the Christian Reformed Church. Where we had to leave, or where we were forced out, I should say, they taught that there is grace in things so that the wicked get rain and sunshine for their crops, that they have bountiful fields, that they have a wife and family. The church at that time was trying to teach there's grace in those things. Obviously, God must love them 
They are good gifts. They are indeed good gifts. But how are they given? Are they given by God in grace to his people because he loves them? Or are they given to the wicked, as we read in Psalm 73, because the Lord is putting the wicked on a slippery slope to destruction? So there's no grace just in the things themselves, whether it be the preaching of the word or whether it be in the sacraments that are used. But that grace comes only by faith. Yes, by faith. Then we receive these things and we're conscious of them. Regeneration. That's the one thing that is given without any means. The Holy Spirit gives new life in the heart. The seed of faith is put there. And then comes the preaching of the gospel. Then comes the calling of the gospel where we turn from our sin to Christ Jesus. You young people maybe remember that in essentials. That's what taught is regeneration is first without any means. There little John the Baptist was already bouncing in his mother's belly when he hears the voice of his Lord's mother. There was no means, there was no preaching to the poor boy at that point in his life that comes later on. But then that new life there has ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. It hears the word of God and believes it and follows it. So those means of grace must be used by us. It's not a question of whether God can do without them, but it's a matter of will God do without those means of grace? I use that quite often, don't I, boys and girls in catechism? You'll say to me, Pastor, can you do this? I say, yeah, I can do that. And they're waiting, they're waiting. Well, Pastor, can you do that? I said, yeah, I can do it. Pastor, will you do it? Yes, okay, I will do it. That's really the question here. Don't ask Can God work faith without means? That's not the right question. But will God do so? And what does God's word say? Faith cometh. And I'm reading now from Romans chapter 10, which we read. Verse 17. So faith then cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the way we hear Christ himself, and that's the way that we can believe in Jesus Christ. So as the carpenter uses a saw, and as a plumber might use a wrench, and a gardener might use a hoe, so the church is commanded to use these means, the means of grace. There are two means of grace. Two. We might call them the chief means of grace. There's many things God uses, in fact, all things God uses in our life for our faith. But there are chief means. The preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. 
Now, there are some who want to add a third means of grace, and they would say church discipline. Church discipline indeed is a key of the kingdom. One of the two keys that open the kingdom and close the kingdom. But what is discipline? Isn't discipline really the carrying out of what we hear in the gospel? Boys and girls, if your parents at home would keep on saying to you, you better not do that or I'm going to do this to you. And then they never do it. They finally say, I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to obey. Nothing happens. If we hear the preaching every week and then we turn away from it and do the opposite, there must be discipline by the elders to follow up the preaching of the gospel. They go hand in hand. So there are two means of grace. Notice not seven. We left in the Reformation. We left a church that said there was seven because the church determined that there would be these seven means of grace. But that's not what makes a thing a means of grace or the chief means of grace. It's Christ Jesus, isn't it? Christ Jesus speaks through the preaching of the gospel. And Christ Jesus has ordained, instituted, two sacraments in the New Testament. Namely, baptism and the Holy Supper. But we'll get to that. But let's first of all deal with the preaching. Because of the two chief means of grace, preaching and sacraments, the preaching is the most important means. It is the one that works faith as well as strengthens faith. The word preached reveals God's will, God's word. The word is a means without any sacraments. But the sacraments have no meaning without the word preached. So preaching is central. Do you see, boys and girls, how the Reformation completely turned around the worship of the church? Because throughout the Middle Ages, what the church was emphasizing was especially the sacrament or the Eucharist every Sunday, and it would add a little homily afterwards, a little story. But that all changed with Martin Luther and John Calvin, the other reformers, where the preaching is necessary, it is foremost in the worship service. Look at the time spent in our worship of an hour and a half. It is almost an hour worth of preaching the word. Because by that word preached, God works that faith and strengthens that faith in us. Let us read again from Romans chapter 10, huh? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear, that is Christ now, without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Preaching. And yet, let's not separate them, 
Preaching and sacraments go together, don't they? You see, the word preached is adapted for the ear, while the word brought in the sacraments appeals to the eyes. Boys and girls, you see the water that is sprinkled on the baby or the adult, and you think, yes, that's the blood of Jesus Christ that was sprinkled on me to wash away all my sins. Or you see with your eyes the bread and the wine on the table, and you say, yes, just like I'm fed and I'm cared for by physical food and drink, so I am fed and nourished by Christ Jesus. They go together, just like a teacher in school. Or some of you boys and girls, maybe in order to memorize your questions and answers in catechism, you might draw pictures of it. And those pictures will help you to remember exactly the, what you have studied, the question and the answer. Wonderful things. And that's what God does for us. Because he knows how weak we are. He knows how easy it is just to hear with the ear and it goes in one ear and out the other ear. So he does not only the things that we hear of the gospel, but then he pictures it before us in the two sacraments. They belong together, the two of them bringing one message, isn't it? It's the message of salvation. You see, the Spirit is directing us to Christ's cross. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Or again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. One message, salvation in and by Jesus Christ alone. By God's grace, apprehended, known and loved by faith. Yes, that preaching of the gospel. How important it is. Not merely reading the Bible, but then the preaching of it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How can we hear Christ if we haven't heard him, and how do we hear him through the preaching of the word. That is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Why am I stressing this need for the preaching? In one of my churches, I had several members of what were called the Gideons. They still work yet. I think they had a, a get-together in October. The Gideons do a good work of handing out Bibles to kids in school, out on different mission fields, but one of those Gideons in my church said this. Why don't we use more of our money to get Bibles out to people instead of wasting so much money on a missionary? Because think of it, in order to have a missionary in another field, it costs probably over $100,000. Think of how many little Bibles could be printed for that. What's wrong with their thinking? Boys and girls, think about that. 
Why not just hand out Bibles? It's much cheaper. You get a lot more of them out. Why the preaching of the word? Why missionaries? Boys and girls, do you remember the story from Acts chapter 8 of Philip? Philip, I want you to go down there toward Gaza. That was one of the cities of the Philistines. And when he is there, God directed him to a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch in it. And the Ethiopian eunuch had a portion of God's word. The portion of God's word that he had was the book of Isaiah. And Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? How can I without someone to explain it to me? Who is this one that is rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? God directed Philip there in order to explain the word that was written to him. The same takes place, doesn't it, every Sunday morning, Sunday evening. We have the word of God right in front of us. You're you're following along in the Bible, but... Now we need someone to explain that word and bring out the application of that word to us. Preaching. Not merely reading the Bible, but now explaining it in detail and applying it. What is the need of it? Faith can never live or be active without that word preached. It is the Holy Spirit that takes that word preached like a seed that the farmer has and puts it in the ground. So the Holy Spirit takes the seed of God's word and works it in your and my hearts. And it is Christ Jesus. He is the object and confidence that we have in faith. Yes, it's to Christ that the child of God must be brought through the preaching of the word. Do you know, you've heard me many times say it, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Do you know your need for him? And do you know how he saves you? And it's only through his death and resurrection. Preaching is a means of grace only when the Holy Spirit uses it. As I said earlier, it doesn't have power in itself. Of itself, it would be a dead letter. But it is the Spirit who takes it and uses it in the hearts and lives of all those whom God has given to Christ Jesus. And therefore, it means that the preaching of the word is not grace to all who hear it. But rather, as we read in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, which we read this morning, it is a savor of death unto death. Let me explain that little phrase just a moment. There the Apostle Paul is saying the preaching of the gospel is always a savor, good-smelling thing to God in heaven because it's the preaching of Christ. But it doesn't have the same effect, always does it. It is a sweet-smelling savor in the salvation of God's people, life to life, 
But it is also a sweet-smelling favor to God, even as it exposes the wicked in their sin and they harden their hearts. Always the gospel is a savor of richness and beauty to God. Or let me explain it this way. You who are farmers, if you have very, very rich soil, oh, that's good for crops, isn't it? With good soil, it soaks up the nourishment and those corn stalks, they grow tall and there's big fat ears on them. But you put a dead fence post. You try to put a fence through that muck dirt, which is so rich. The richer the soil, the faster that dead wood deteriorates, rots, doesn't it? The same is true with the preaching of the word. God's saints, by faith, believing it, are nourished and grow strong and produce fruit. The wicked who come underneath the rich preaching of the word, they harden themselves. They hurl themselves to destruction. Because God loves you and me so much, he loves his church he wants us not only to hear that message of the gospel, but he wants you and me to see that gospel also as it's portrayed in the sacraments. Visible signs of invisible things. Boys and girls, you maybe remember a chapel last year that I had at school. It was that of a tulip in some water and a thing and we explained that faith is kind of like that stem of the flower. It gets its nourishment from the ground or from the soil and through the water. It draws it up so that that bloom becomes a beautiful flower, tulip. That's how God works and strengthens our faith. He works it and strengthens it by the preaching, but now added to that, the sacraments by themselves would not mean anything, but the sacraments, along with the preaching, strengthens our faith. We see it with our eyes, we hear it with our ears, and we rejoice to God. But not only are they visible signs, but it's a seal. For God is saying, as much as that water is used in life to wash away dirt on our bodies, so the blood of Jesus Christ surely washes away all of the blackness of our sins. As surely as bread and wine will nourish our physical life, so also Christ Jesus, partaken by faith, nourishes us spiritually. Those sacraments instituted by Christ are administered by the church officially. He doesn't give it to us in our homes the preaching of the word and the sacraments take place in the church, in the congregation, used by believers for the strengthening of their faith. They picture Christ Jesus. They picture Christ Jesus crucified for our sins. Two in number, not seven, two in number, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And now the next Lord's Days are going to look at those sacraments in detail. So that brings me to my third point. What is the result of this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Where 
The Spirit, by the word and sacraments, works and strengthens faith. What is the result? Life. Life, spiritual life. What is life? In Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 3, this is life, that they might know thee and thy son, Jesus Christ. That's life. Negatively, it means that it is absolutely wrong. It is wrong of a person to neglect the means of grace. To neglect either the two worship services each Sabbath day or to neglect the sacraments. That's why Christian parents must baptize their children. I know of in a Reformed church, there was a man that came from a, another background, and the elder says, Pastor, you have to baptize your kids. He says, well, I could, I could do it. It doesn't make any difference to me. Ouch. Doesn't it make any difference to you? Parents, baptize your children so that later on in their life, you can always point to their baptism. Remember. Remember that that sign was placed upon you by Christ Jesus. It's wrong to neglect those chief means of grace. Many churches today are minimizing the preaching of the word, instituting other things, whether it be songs, whether it be liturgical dances, whether it be films, or even an instructor in preaching told their students, instead of so much preaching by one person, we should have each member of the church standing up and give a testimony of what the Lord is saying to them. Neglecting or putting down the official preaching of the word. So negatively, we may not neglect the means of grace. Positively, oh saints, we must use those means. Use them diligently. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some we read in the scripture. Diligently, freaking the house of God. Preparing yourselves beforehand to hear that preaching of the word. If you stay up most of the night playing with your gadgets or reading or doing other things, Do you think you're going to be prepared on Sunday morning to hear the word of God? Are your eyes going to be awfully heavy? And you say, how much longer is this sermon going to last? Prepare for the preaching. And then hearing the preaching, hearing the word, then doing the word, believing in Christ, clinging to Christ, living for Christ Jesus, serving Christ Jesus. What is the result of that in our lives? It's humility, isn't it? It's not I who give myself to Christ. It's not I who gets all the credit for being saved. Not at all. You and I are miserable sinners like everyone else in the world. But God, God in his grace reached down and took a hold of us. And gave us to Christ Jesus and works faith in us. 
What is the result? It's thankfulness, isn't it? Thankfulness. We praise God. We praise God for choosing us. We praise God for giving us to Christ. We praise God for working faith in us and causing us to grow up in Christ Jesus. What is the result? We are a kind of first fruits of his creation. That's what the Bible says. It hints at our dignity and our duty. He has given us these means, the chief means of grace. Do you pray for those means as you, before you come to church? Do you parents pray during the week for the pastors who are preparing the sermons? Are you praying for yourself that you're ready to hear that word and rejoice in that word? What is the result of hearing it? It is your and my dignity. That is, we are the Lord's portion. We are his peculiar people. We are his treasure. Do you think of that daily? What is our, what is the result of these means of grace given to us, beloved? It is diligent use. Diligent use. Read God's word be here in church Sunday morning, Sunday night to hear that word proclaimed. Rejoice with God's people when the sacraments are added to that word and grow. Grow up. Mature as God's choicest gifts. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee 